Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. As usual, today we have a live studio audience, at least a live virtual one, from the Upgrade Collective, which is my membership and mentorship group, where every week uh, we get together, there's structured courses based on all my books, and, well, I teach you all the stuff you need to know to have control of your own biology, and it is going strong, and people are having a great time, including me. So thank you, Upgrade Collective, for being part of the audience today. Today we're going to talk about plant medicine but not the kind of plant medicine that you probably just thought of, which was either ayahuasca or mushrooms. And there's actually hundreds of other psychedelic ones. But it turns out there's a couple of plant medicines that you don't think of as being plant medicines. Coffee is plant medicine. Uh, Tobacco is plant medicine. And they've actually both been used in sacred ceremony. Chocolate is plant medicine. So, It goes a lot deeper than that. And alcohol is plant medicine. In fact, alcohol has been used throughout every culture, but we all know there's a big downside to alcohol. And some of it is from toxin contamination. And some of it is from metabolic problems it causes. Dr. Amen, a dear friend who's been on the show many times, talks about holes in the brain and things like that. So the plant medicine that we're going to talk about today is something called kava. And I've got returning to the show Cameron George, who is the founder of True Kava, which is a company that's done a huge amount of research on how kava activates things like the GABA receptors in your brain and how you can do it safely and how you can do it in a way that's better than what you would get from alcohol. And because I've had a show on the basics of kava, here I want to talk about drug and alcohol and mental health type of things and how kava plays in those areas that you might not think about. Cameron, welcome back to the show, my friend. Dave, it's so much fun to be here again with you. It's always a pleasure. It's always so much fun. Conversation's always great, man. When we first talked about doing another show on uh, on kava, I'm kind of like, well, we've already introduced uh, listeners to Bulletproof Radio uh, to the idea of kava as a you know, a, a traditionally used uh, sacred ceremonial and social drink. Uh, but you came back and said, no, Dave, we're talking about PTSD and mental health and things like that, which is funny because if you look at things like mushrooms, you're saying, oh, no, those are for, you're going to a rave. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, actually, no, they have very specific uses for PTSD, just like MDMA and all. So all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I hadn't thought of kava in that context, but you convinced me that it was worth a conversation about it. So I'm uh, I'm happy to share that with uh, with all of our listeners. What got you into PTSD and the mental health side of kava, um, other than the fact that you run a kava company? I mean, there's that. You know, first of all, kind of like we touched on, you know, in our first conversation. I got into this whole process through my own pain and through the pain of many other, um, you know, uh, individuals who who were personal friends of mine, and then also patients of of a large doctor's network whom I, um, you know, do a lot of work for and product development and so on and so forth. And so I've had the I've had the opportunity to um, to observe, you know, the therapeutic benefits of this amazing plant medicine, not only in myself and its transformative effects on 
me while I was going through a long process of autoimmune disease and PTSD as a byproduct, but I've also seen it on literally hundreds of patients as well too. And also I've had the, the opportunity to, um, you know, you know, to become really fully integrated into the cultures of the South Pacific and um, to dive deeply into the historical context that is really, you know, goes back over 3000 years, um, you know, that they've had this relationship with this medicine. And whenever you talk to the indigenous people of the South Pacific, they don't speak of kava, you know, in the same context that like, you know, that we would, those people who, who, who know about it, even at this point in the United States, where we just see it as this kind of, you know, anxiety relieving, you know, herb that helps with sleep and stress and things like that. They speak of it as a spiritual entheogenic medicine that improves the quality of your thoughts, your perspectives, um, induces introspective thinking and allows people to connect with one another. They see it as a psychological medicine, even more so than a physiological medicine. But of course, there's overlap there. And so the, you know, the combination of understanding that historical context deeply um, and diving into those cultures and you know, understanding how sacred it is to them and fully having delved into the history of it as well. And, and that with the combination of me while I was sick, um, it helping me tremendously transition safely off of very addictive benzodiazepine drugs as well as alcohol. And, um, and then seeing it in a doctor's population, actually in a medical context where we've had the, 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 you know, the, the pleasure of seeing this, this, you know, medicine sort of, you know, start to take hold in our modern world, uh, in our modern problems that we have that the indigenous people of the South Pacific don't have as much with all of our PTSD and trauma and everything like that, you know, so I've, I've observed this and then also, um, gotten to collaborate with, uh, really, you know, the largest group of, of, you know, scientific researchers in the world on, on kava that are concentrated both in the islands over in Germany and areas in Europe. Um, and there's a huge body of literature uh, of, on kava, and it's one of the most well-studied herbs, um, you know, in the ethnobotanical pharmacopoeia outside of ginseng and like reishi mushroom. And so all of that combined, there's a huge body of different forms of evidence that's now emerging that's that's really painting this picture of the relevance of this medicine in our current traumatic time and what we we can hope to see in the future as further studies ensue on PTSD, on depression, on anxiety and many of these other conditions or just used as an, a, an alternative to drugs and alcohol that are addictive. It seems like there's this weird thing that governments do. If a group of people like a natural substance, uh, we should probably ban it uh, because it might compete with the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and by banning it, sometimes you know, they'll they'll smear it or sometimes they'll just outright ban it. And we've seen this from cannabis, which does have positive and negative effects. Uh, we've seen it certainly with mushrooms and MDMA, which have beneficial effects when used properly. Um, but now I'm actually thinking of another one, uh, Kratom or Kratom. By the way, do you know which way is the right way to say it? <laughs> um, well, and it's really kratom is is how it's pronounced, really, in, in in its indigenous context, mostly. And then you see people in the United States, a lot of people say kratom, some people say kratom. I don't know if anyone really knows 100% sure, because even some indigenous people, like in Thailand, I've heard them say it both ways, but kratom is 
really, I, I think the, the correct way of saying it. I, I did a bunch of research because I couldn't tell. I didn't want to sound like an idiot talking about it. It turns out they're both acceptable. <laughs> so cray or cray, you get to pick. But it's interesting. Oh, it's it's bad. And then, oh, there's a batch with salmonella. Therefore, let's ban all of it, uh, which is also the same thing that the FDA did with uh, something called tryptophan, an amino acid that's essential, that's commonly available. So a company in the, I think the 90s, made a bad batch that harmed people because it wasn't actually tryptophan. It was something else. But what they do, they banned tryptophan right when the launch of Ambien or some other sleep medication came out. So there's this long history of, you know, oh, if you're not allowed to talk about it or it's being attacked by the FDA, it probably works and it probably competes with something that's more toxic, right? So I'm looking at Kratom as an example of that. They come after it. And then there's a cycle where people go, oh, it must be bad. And then you go through the cycle and you come out and go, oh, actually, there's a bunch of research. So in 2001, 20 years ago, uh, what happened is kava got attacked, right? And so like someone said in a research, oh, if you use the wrong species and you extract it the wrong way, it could be liver toxic. And it's been completely invalidated. It took 15 years to reverse that ban. So for the last six years, everyone's like, oh. It turns out if you make it right, it doesn't do what we thought it did. So now it's in the safe approved zone. So all the good stuff kind of goes through these cycles that can be anywhere from 20 to 50 years in the case of the so-called psychedelics. Where, where do you see it going now that it's proven to be safe, at least for the vast majority of people? There might be some people who have GABA receptors or something. But... Um, where do you see it going? Like, is, is this going to be something that replaces alcohol for 10% of people for 20% of people, or is it just going to be like a separate thing? you mix them together. I, I don't know. What, what is the future of that? So I think, you know, kava is an extraordinarily unique, um, plant medicine that is one of the most versatile, um, plant medicines, uh, that I've ever come across and I've used the heavy psychedelics, you know, you know, the DMT based, uh, uh, psychedelics and psilocybin and LSD and, 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 you know, use these things with some level of intention. And then I've also used everything down to the, just the basic adaptogenic, uh, substances like the ginsengs and things. And I can't say that I've come across a single substance, which is why I got into this at this level. Um, that has a greater therapeutic effect to drawback ratio, right? There are stronger plant medicines, but they have more limited context of use. Kava is a very powerful medicine, both both acutely and chronically when taken over time. Um, it, it offers this really powerful acute symptom relief like a drug would. Um, however, like especially in high dosages and certain forms and drinks and stuff. Um, but with with you know virtually no real side effects to really report on and so for that reason you know i see the future of kava as being extremely vast i personally believe and in in you know this is you know a belief that's actually an extension of the you know a collection of the most prominent indigenous people in the south pacific where it's a core part of their culture uh, in the south pacific it is their alcohol they have 20 times as many kava bars in fiji and in vanuatu as they have regular bars because they prefer it over alcohol, um, which is a very, very, um, you know, you know, good sign obviously for what Kava might hold. But, um, we believe, uh, you know, those of us in the community who have either studied Kava, worked with Kava, trying to, you know, act as, as, you know, you know, sort of the facilitators of Kava into the modern world. 
we believe that it has every opportunity to eventually become as common as a cup of coffee because it really takes some of the best effects of both alcohol, coffee, and CBD and puts it into one without any of the negative effects of some of those things, right? And of course, each one of those things have their own application and I'm not, it's not an either or thing. It's, it's just kava is such a versatile medicine um, that has these amazing effects on the brain. Um, and, you know, whenever you look at, you kind of touched on this just a minute ago, basically every single, especially the stronger plant medicines, but every, every single pseudo psychoactive or psychoactive plant medicine that, that, that we've ever known has carried with it some level of controversy at some point. And it's because plant medicines have these multi-therapeutic effects and usually plant medicines affect the mind in certain ways that, that, that some, um, you know, people, see to be a positive thing and other people usually power structures of some kind see to be a negative thing for individual interests or business interests or whatever or sometimes it's ignorance and misperception but we've seen it with cannabis right where you know you know reefer madness you know cannabis is bad bad back in the 1930s you know we've seen it with kratom and you know now we're seeing it um you know with with kava and we, you know, we've even seen it with psilocybin and these others and and virtually all of these plant medicines, we've we've you know eventually come to realize that it's all about context with most of them. And in some of these plant medicines, there really is is no you know valid claims of of danger, right? And so we've just come to learn that throwing the baby out with the bathwater is a mistake, right? We know that that that's the case now with psilocybin because we have plenty of good evidence that there may be some great medical use, but there may be some some deleterious effects if used incorrectly. Cannabis, we know that not only is there medical use for cannabis like, you know, marijuana, but there's this other part of the cannabis plant or this other, you know, the male version that just contains CBD that's just, it's virtually benign and, and virtually anyone can take it and tolerate it. So kava is no different than any of these in, in, in that sense that it's had these strikes, these ignorance and misperceptions and certain power structures um, that have had incentives um, you know, to you know, deviate away from it if they can't make a patentable drug out of it and things. Um, but uh, it's it, you, now it's having its day, you know, just like CBD had its day. We believe that, you know, kava being as versatile as it is and, you know, actually being a substance that truly naturally delivers on what people want out of alcohol um, you know, which is to connect with other people, but without the addiction and without the deleterious effects on putting you into this more primitive state where you're drunk and, and lose your faculties. It, it has enough of those ingredients that we believe that, you know, eventually it's, it's going to be, and we're trying to help, help facilitate it as being, um, you know, a core part of the culture and the way that we, that, that we socialize. All right. So if I translate that into the prediction, you're saying 80% of alcohol will be replaced by kava in five minutes. Okay. Maybe not, but like, seriously, <laughs> going back to that. Okay. It, is this going to become a meaningful chunk of what people do, or is it going to be an edge case? You know, you go to a kava bar, you get your true kava and you, you drink it, or are people actually going to have parties? Like, Hey, let's just have some kava. Like we didn't all want to get ripped tonight. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I truly believe that, you know, we have this this growing movement, you know, in the United States and other places, you know, around the world where we're starting to move towards more natural, safe, sustainable, you know, versions of, you know, either, you know, whether it be food products, you know, or various other, um, you know, lifestyle activities, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing, you know, with the, you know, with the organic food movement. I, I actually want you to answer the question. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so you're asking if kava is going to be the next alcohol or 80% of the population will be or, using or it. 80% or just what percent? Like, like how common do you think it, it is going to be? So you have true kava, people are using it. You can see how much they're using it. You can see where and why they're using it. What I want to know, and what I think our listeners want to know is, are we going to see some groups of people shifting towards kava from alcohol, or are they going to use kava in addition to alcohol? Is it additive or is it replaceive? Absolutely. So I believe that it's 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 replaceive in most cases. Okay, cool. I think that we'll see both. I think because I don't believe that there's going to be a you know any circumstance in which everybody gives up alcohol because you know we all respond differently to different things, and some people just prefer. Um, you know, you know, certain altered states to others, but kava in the islands makes it's it's a meaningful enough replacement to alcohol that offers enough of the effects that in the islands it is absolutely preferred in places where both are wow. present. Okay, and do people ever put a shot of tequila in true kava? <laughs> Some people do. Yeah, I mean, it's you know. We, we certainly have people who mix them together and there's there's no reason to believe that there's a compounded negative effect whenever you're actually using the food grade version of kava traditional kava that's not like an isolate or one of these weird things you know uh that uh you know takes it out of its natural food context so it definitely has a compounding effect and you know alcohol will kind of increase the delivery of it and so we definitely have people who do that um but I really like it personally as a replacement because, uh, you know, people who, for the most part, people who are migrating towards kava are looking for healthier alternatives that are non-addictive, that don't, you know, interfere with their faculties um, and kind of keep them sober, but like bring kind of that enhanced sobriety, you know? So you actually just reminded me, I was going to be drinking because I haven't tried the sparkling stuff. Um, you, you've sent it to me and it's been waiting in my fridge and I just got back from this trip. So I'm going to go grab my can of it. Give me a second. Um, Cause I've, I've used the shots and the oil I use every night before I go to sleep, but give me one second. I'm going to grab it. So it looks like someone on my team drank half of it already. So that's what happens when you, you leave. But so I know the primary way, my favorite way of using true kava, it has been so far the oil. And when I use the kava oil before I go to sleep, my sleep score is better. I sleep better. Like it's, it's very noticeable. Um, and then I've done the shots a few times. Um, and let's see what's in this. Um, we've got water, natural flavors, citric acid, and some vegetable juice for color and stevia. And I know I tried this at the, uh, at the event at modern Nirvana, but I think this is a newer addition. Are people, Cameron, I, I mean, are you imagining I'm going to get a couple six packs of this stuff? I'm going to sit down with some friends. We're going to you know, sit around and, you know, 
play whatever the heck games we play and just socialize and listen to music. And, you know, we're each going to drink three or four of these. Are you going to get lit? Like what's going to happen if you do that? How many should you have if you wanted to be in a really mellow social mood? So this particular drink, we tried to, to standardize it um, at a concentration that equals about what you would get from a serving at, at a kava bar in the islands, right? Um, so it's not too overly strong per serving. Uh, so it gives you, you know, a good hint of the overall effects of kava, which is, you know, mood relaxation and mental clarity. It kind of relaxes you. It opens you up. It has an effect on kind of creativity, kind of opens you up to more introspective, like empathetic conversation. Um, and so it, it gives you a hint of that to where it's not, it's not overwhelming by any means. But then, you know, after about two or three of them, you get to a much more relaxed place. And so we've, we've tried to dial in the concentration to where in a social setting, it w- you would probably drink about as many of, of, of them as you would beer probably, right? It's like 24, 30 if you're from Texas. Yeah, I, I have people that do, you know, for sure. So I have to say, um, just genuinely, um, I like this, like I, I'm drinking this on purpose and that it tastes good. Um, and I'm not sure I've never had like a stack of them. I had two of them when we were last together in Austin. Um, but um, this is, this tastes a little bit different than that one, but like I, I would, I'd see myself doing that. I didn't get, you know, buzzed off a couple of them, but I'm a big guy. Are we seeking a buzz from Kava? I mean, describe it a little bit more. Like it, it's always annoying to hear people go, Oh yeah. You know, I had mushrooms and I saw I became one with the universe and all that. So I don't want that. But what I, I want is, is like, do you feel it in your chest? Do, you, do your fingers get tingly? Like, like, what does it feel like when Kava first hits you? What's what's so interesting about kava is it has this staggered spectrum of effects that that change with the dosage, right? So if you're looking for a mild relaxation, you, you'll get this little numbing on the tongue whenever you start to kind of have one, a mild relaxation that just loosens you up a little bit. That's more powerful than you know, like a regular supplement, like a like a chamomile tea for sure. You definitely feel it, but it's not going to give you like the intense. Uh, buzz until you start to get up into, you know, maybe three or four of these and even, you know, products that we're designing for the future that are even more recreational where you can get there even faster, like fine wine type of thing. Um, but, you know, so basically it, it has something to offer for people seeking relaxation and sort of that, that even euphoria um, at, at higher dosages. So it has something to offer everybody, but we wanted to to make it in a concentration to where it's it's not too overwhelming with the first one, but you can get there if you consume quite a bit of them over the course of a night. And you just get, we call it sort of, you know, a calm, enhanced state of natural sobriety. It does, it feels, it's a very unique feeling. I mean, it, it's, it feels like in high dosages, it feels like alcohol. You're very much engaged. It kind of opens up, it, it opens you up empathetically and it makes it easy to connect with people but yet without the drunkenness. So it's kind of a new experience because you don't lose your faculties, but yet in high dosages, you can get this euphoria, this relaxation that is well above and very different than any other basic supplement, like an adaptogenic herb tea or something. Uh, What about operating heavy equipment after Kava? Are there any issues with that? 
No, you know, for the most, I mean, kava has been well studied to not affect the faculties. However, there are dosages that where you get very, very high and we don't have products currently like that yet. Um, but like, you know, the premium products that, you know, we're developing, you know, for the future, that'll be more like kind of like a fine wine is what we're looking at, you know, you, you know, targeting there, there will be disclaimers on there just basically to protect us and give some general recommendations that we're preemptively sort of working out with the regulatory agency, because right now we're basically introducing, um, you know, Kava in its traditional form into the marketplace. And so we're helping to create the structure and the formatting around it. So right now, a lot of that's being dialed out um, or, or dialed in, so to speak. But um, but but yes, there are very high dosages that that if you have them, it kind of washes over you, and it could be distracting a little bit to the point where you, you may want to take it easy for about thirty minutes. But it doesn't. It still is has never been shown to to interfere with your faculties to really make it dangerous. But it'd be more of a precautionary thing, but doesn't do what alcohol does in that sense, which is what's so great about it. it that coupled with the fact that it's not addictive. Okay, so there's no legal uh, rules against it, and the studies that you're aware of don't show that you're addled. But if someone's feeling addled by anything, they shouldn't drive anyway. But but generally speaking, it's a lot better than alcohol, no matter what you say or what you can do about it. Okay? Right. So I'm a big fan of resilience right now. And resilience means that your body can turn on a stress response, has enough energy and ability to do it, and it can turn off the stress response. And it can do that effectively and efficiently. And maybe the stress response isn't as large as it would have been because it didn't need to be. And you have enough energy to handle whatever is going on. And there's actually some interesting information you brought to my attention about how longer-term use of kava increases stress resilience and makes you more resistant to trauma. Do we know enough about how that works or just that it is happening? So this is something that's been observed by the indigenous people of the South Pacific forever. And so we've gotten experiential, um, you know, context for this. However, some, uh, you know, there have been, you know, a couple studies that have now shown what the indigenous people have always known that with long-term use, you start to see an increase in GABA receptor density um, and so basically what has always been proposed and that we're starting to see flushed out, and I think that we're going to see it more and more into the future as the research ensues, is that it's helping to not only give you that acute symptomatic relief, um, but, you know, inst- but it's also helping to, to rebuild like the parasympathetic nervous system and, and give to the body, give to, to, you know, to those GABA centers that are the brakes of the nervous system instead of take from them. Because like with alcohol or drugs, basically they work by going in and borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today. And the more you use, the more you have to use to get the same effect, you know, cause it's sort of like borrowing on credit and eventually you end up in debt with your body's own chemistry and then you take it away and your bank account is empty. And kava offers us a great, you know, acute symptomatic relief, but it also seems to help rehabilitate, which is which is why we we suspect so many applications for things like PTSD in the future because of how it's able to reset the nervous system. Let me talk for a minute about GABA uh, for our listeners, just uh, to ground people who probably don't know too much about it. So GABA is one of the amino acids, the building blocks for proteins. And in the brain, it functions as a neurotransmitter, but it's hard for GABA 
to get through the blood brain barrier when you take it. And some people, including me, I notice an effect if I take a gram of straight GABA amino acid, it can help with sleep a little bit, but getting it through the gut barrier is a problem. And so people have solved this with you know, various ways of attaching it to molecules so it enter the brain. Things like phenyl GABA, um, which was something that is actually can be addictive over the course of many days if you take it the wrong way, but is an incredibly effective um, sleep drug. Unfortunately, um, it is now mostly banned uh, by the FDA because it competes with Ambien, even though I would say it's far safer and less addictive than Ambien. So phenyl GABA um, is one of the things that demonstrates how powerful activating GABA can be. So does alcohol, right? But in order to activate GABA, you have to get GABA or a GABA-like molecule across the blood-brain barrier. And then there's a receptor, which is there waiting for this amino acid slash neurotransmitter to plug into the receptor. Well, if you have a problem because you don't have enough receptors or your receptors are resistant to coupling, and this can happen genetically, or it can happen because you've abused alcohol or because you've had too much trauma, all sorts of stuff, um, then you're going to have a problem because the GABA can't get in. And if it does get in, there simply aren't enough locks to accept the keys. And what you're saying is that Kava actually can make you grow new locks so that you can handle more keys over time and it'll activate the ones you have. Good translation? Yes. Yeah, that's a perfect translation. Absolutely. Okay. There were some other studies I came across. I like to prep for these things. And here's a list. I'm going to go through this real briefly for listeners with as much science as I can pack in small amounts of time without being um, irritating and boring. <laughs> so Upgrade Collective, tell me, uh, tell me if you're like, this is way too much. Uh, but um, there is a calcium channel blocking effect from kava. And calcium channels are necessary, but when they get overactivated, you get cellular inflammation. So one of the things that happens, uh, for instance, uh, when you're exposed to high doses of EMF is your voltage-gated calcium channels open up. So if you can block some calcium channels, you might even be more EMF-resistant or certainly less likely to get inflamed when you're doing something like flying. There's upregulation of NRF2, which is something that coffee also does, fasting also does, and is good for uh, your brain at a minimum. It inhibits COX which is the same thing that some anti-inflammatory painkillers do. There's AMPK activation, similar to what caffeine would do. MAOB inhibitor, which is something that is a relatively potent, um, we'll call it antidepressant. I take an MAOA thing for anti-aging called liquid deprinil, uh, which I've talked about uh, in one of the books. But MAOB and MAOA inhibition, as long as it's reversible, is a really nice way of lifting your mood and then apparently there's also some lightweight, I'm going to call it psychedelic properties. But of that list, that, that's a pretty broad set of pharmaceutical activation of pathways that we understand about kava, which is what makes it one of these amazing plant medicines. Do any of those stand out as the most important? You know, even just to kind of, in short, kind of thread together all of those, um, all of those known mechanisms into one overarching theme... Uh, you know, just so that it's it's easy for people to understand, because people always ask, well, how is one thing do so many things? It sounds too good to be true, right? Um, but if if you look at kava from you know a philosophical standpoint or from an experiential standpoint, understanding kava's role in the natural ecology or what it is, 
Kava it acts, you know, from a plant medicine standpoint, as an organism standpoint, as a protective substance. And every single one of those mechanisms that we just listed are all protective. They're neuroprotective, they're tissue protective. So, you know, the GABA systems lower glutamate levels, which whenever they become excessive, damage the brain and, and cause excitotoxicity. And, it, you know, that is, is always present in, in autoimmune conditions usually. Um, you know, the calcium channel blocking, um, that's the same mechanism of anti-seizure medications because it calms the cell and keeps it from being over-accentuated and inflamed and causing all these free radicals that things like EMFs activate. And that goes down the list, the NRF2 upregulation, that's a hormetic response that increases levels of glutathione and you know, you know, the other antioxidant systems as well too. COX as well, that's protective as well. Even you know, the, you know, the AMP K turning over fat into ketones is a survival adaptation that's protective, the getting ketones into the brain, right? So kava is this amazing neuro and tissue protective substance that protects us from the damaging effects of trauma and stress. And there are, there are ecological reasons possibly and philosophical, for, you know, for those that the indigenous people believe, but the indigenous people have always believed that that's the essence of the plant. And now that we've studied it, we can actually see that that holds up under the scrutiny of the scientific lens, which is so great. So if, 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 if we had to, in, in answer to your question, if we had to pick one that was most important, it's hard to, but kava is certainly most famous for activating the GABA receptors because it hits them so hard that GABA really, just so people can understand this, and you explained it beautifully um, scientifically, GABA is, it's the molecule of relaxation and inner peace, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's why people drink alcohol, that feeling of just, relaxation where you can relax, you can open up, you can connect with people, the stress hormones go down, you can go into a parasympathetic state where you're not in that rat race sort of beta, you know, frequency state. So I would say GABA would be its biggest claim to fame. You and I have talked off camera about the potential of kava to have the same effect as microdosing, either LSD or uh, mushrooms. And a lot of people, and I've talked about this in books and just on tons of interviews, I'm thinking Tim Ferriss and I went really deep. Uh, it was a little while ago. Uh, and I've talked with David Rabin, uh, Paul Stamets, I believe, so lots of people on the show about microdosing. And the idea is low dose over time can help you process this past unresolved trauma. And when I say process unresolved trauma, the injury in me is like, oh, for God's sake, like, what are you talking about here? But what that really means is you have patterns of reactivity in your nervous system that are designed to happen before you can think about things because they're there to protect you. And you shouldn't have to think about protecting yourself. You should just automatically do that. So the idea is that somehow kava is going to have a similar effect as these other things on just making, oh, look, I didn't realize I was doing that. And then you just stop. What evidence do you have that, that, that that's a similar effect to these other things? What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. 
All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. So most of the evidence right now is is historical uh, and clinical observation. But whenever we look at the mechanisms and we look at what kava has been deeply historically understood to do, just like with ayahuasca, you know, a lot of a lot of what we have with ayahuasca is the same thing, right? Where people are going to these places in the Amazon and seeing it and we have experiences over thousands of years and the indigenous people have this deep understanding of what happens and then when we look at the mechanisms in the brain then it 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 starts to we're starting to build a good case for it uh you know and so then with my own personal experience the experience of hundreds of other um you know actual patients in the future i truly believe that we're going to see amazing effects on ptsd because um in high dosages like i you know i alluded to earlier in low dosages you don't get that that much of that psychoactive effect it's a mild effect high dosages of kava you get more of of that introspective creative thinking what i call systems thinking where you know just like microdosing um or even heavier doses of psychedelics you get this left right brain hemisphere sort of you know increased communication where you can zoom out and look at the the circumstances of your life and kind of see the big picture um and in you know it, it, it basically allows you to unpack and to step back and examine things from a very reflective and introspective standpoint, right? And so instead of being locked in like you are in a stress state to what's right in front of you and being blind to the big picture, um, that's that's called, you know, you know, being analytically sound in in your one little sort of, you know, task on a daily basis, um, you know, versus like the wisdom of being able to step back and to see the entire system, okay? So kava is is well, well known, and it's, it's always been described to elicit that state, but it's really cool because it's it, almost anyone can tolerate it. So that's why we compare it to microdosing is that it's, it's, um, it's a mild psychedelic that's not visual, but offers that kind of systems thinking. And whenever you spend a long period of time in that sort of subtle psychedelic state, then it allows you to reflect on your past experiences from a place of complete safety where your limbic system is down because you're relaxed and which can lead to new neurological structures being formed over time and positive associations being formed. Well, I'm feeling uh, the can that I, I had um, already of true kava. And I'm going to try and explain it uh, for everyone listening. Um, if you look at what psychedelics do or, or you have any sort of meditative or breathwork practice, um, you end up monitoring what a lot of people would call your chakras. There's seven of those. But really, there's kind of there's the gut brain, there's the heart brain, and then there's the brain brain, you know, the, the head. And it, there are minor nuances and there's hundreds of small things, so I'm not going to get too esoteric on you guys and all that. Um, but when you're used to monitoring those, like there's a, there's a feeling and where I feel uh, true Kava uh, when just uh, 15 minutes after I finished the can, there's what it's mostly heart centered. 
right? And it feels like the size of whatever's around my heart has increased, but mostly in the backside of the heart. So there's all kinds of people going, aha, I know what that means. Okay, so you guys won't all agree with each other. <laughs> and someone who's highly intuitive and can pick up someone else's energy will probably say something very profound about it. But what I can say is there is a noticeable size difference and a little bit of ampiness that I'm getting from it. So like there's an energy boost um, but it feels like the the normal heart thing that I have is bigger than it was before. Do you ever hear stuff like that before? Or am I just out here on a planet trying to describe getting high, even though I'm not really high? Yes. No. I, yes, we hear that all the time. And people will explain that in, in different ways, obviously. But, you know, basically... and. Some of it is a little strain specific because there's over 200 strains of kava that have, they, they're all in the same wheelhouse of like calm, relaxed focus and give these effects. But some bring out more of the, the, you know, the mental energy and some bring out more of the relaxation um, and the introspection and things like that. But, you know, generally we've, we formulated this to be balanced where it gives you a little bit of everything. And so what, what kava has been known for in the islands is best is because kind of like alcohol, it relaxes you, but activates you at the same time, except for adding this whole entheogenic plant medicine side to it, to where you're, you're kind of in this state to where you're not, you're not like going to sleep. You're very engaged, but you're very relaxed and you're very, you, you become social, your heart opens up and you can kind of see things. And in fact, this is a, you know, a very important thing too, historically, um, in the villages, you know, the people uh, in, in Vanuatu, you know, the chief still has, you know, final say over basically everything in most of these villages. And, you know, basically, kava is such a core part of their social structure and how they get brought together as a community. They do everything together of a kava because it brings them together. Um, that if there's a dispute between two parties in the village, the chief will sit them down and force them to settle it over kava because it brings out empathy um, and it allows people to basically unpack situations from more of a, a, of a wise, broad, you know, you know, empathetic perspective. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So just thinking, so people are, are people at the biohacking conference going to be able uh, to try the sparkly stuff? Cause it's not on your website yet. Is it? Yes. Yes. No, no, no. It's not on the website. We do have a shot. That's the same product. Um, that, that we have on the website, but it's just in a two ounce form instead okay, of the, the 12 ounce form. Um, at the biohacking conference, we are going to de debut it and do happy hours basically where we're going to be sampling it and, and then sampling the oil and, and everything else in between that. So we're going to have like three happy hours a day uh, where we're going to be pouring it and people are going to be experiencing that sort of enhanced sense of community in the island's Basically, anywhere where you see kava, you see much tighter knit communities and, and basically that sense of healthy tribalism because it brings people together. It's amazing for events. So what, I, what I'd like to do is find people who are really angry at each other at the conference and make them sit down uh, and drink some kava and watch it melt. But there really aren't that many angry people who go to the biohacking conference. Um, that's a that's a problem there. So if you guys could turn on your anger a little bit more before you come, so we could turn it off with kava, that would be so so beneficial and relaxing. Okay, don't do that. But I I do think the community and the the tribal building stuff is really cool. Are there studies on oxytocin in kava? There are. No, not not that I've seen. I haven't seen any studies showing. Uh, an increase in oxytocin. It's been proposed uh, that that's one of the mechanisms because 
just you know the general feeling and the effects and the observation we know that 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 it does affect dopamine it increases dopamine it increases serotonin um you know it increases you know of course gaba and it even has cholinergic effects um but there are no studies that i know of that actually demonstrate its effects on oxytocin even though it i i i believe that that possibly is there <laughs> okay got it um is it also yeah. used in fiji yes Got it's it. used throughout the South Pacific. Vanuatu is the home of kava. It's number one. Fiji's number two. Uh, you know, as, as as far as you know, kava use. All the Polynesian islands, Samoa, Tonga, but you know, Vanuatu and Fiji is where most of the kava is consumed. Uh, you know, in the world, that's where most of the kava comes from, and it's it's a core. It's it's a foundation of their culture. They're just like coffee is a foundation of ours in many ways. And it, um, I guess it never made it uh, through all the Polynesian chains all the way to Hawaii because there's, I think, thousands and thousands of years ago, maybe some, or at least genetically, it looks like that's how the first people came to Hawaii, but they maybe didn't bring kava with them because I've not seen it as a part of native Hawaiian uh, traditions. Is it there too, or I just don't know about it? It absolutely is there in this story about, you know, kava in Hawaii is is kind of an interesting one, but, you know, basically it's... It was there a long time ago, and it still is there. There still are kava farms in Hawaii, and you'll be able to find a few kava bars. But whenever the Westerners came in, they brought in alcohol, and kind of there was kind of this push where they kind of like you know it, it you know forced it out. It's kind of like they brought spam there and different things, you know. It, it so it, it was a weird. It, it didn't have its hooks as tightly knit there. And so, you know, I mean, alcohol was brought in very aggressively, so it just doesn't have the kind of presence there that it has, mainly because there's not as many seedlings, there's not as many cuttings, and so there just wasn't the supply after a period of time, um, and, and because they didn't have as rich of a history of like, you know, of cultivating it there. But it is, it is there. There are Hawaiian forms of kava. Uh, very interesting to see how these things spread around. Just like when you look at um, ayahuasca, I mean, there's the famous brew of three plants from uh, from the jungle down there, but it turns out every continent has multiple DMT producing species of plants on it, many of which have been used medicinally by indigenous people, uh, except for, I think Antarctica didn't have one, <laughs> but everywhere else did. So it, it's like mother nature makes all these things. And as long as we don't, you know, destroy the forest where it grows and things like that, um, we're going to find there's all kinds of cool stuff out there. And some of which at least some people on the planet have known about for a very long time. And I'm, I'm pretty good at kind of reading the future tea leaves about, you know, what's, what's coming and, you know, what's waxing and waning and all. And I think Kava is right at the beginning of a, a substantial spike in interest and awareness because it has real efficacy, because it has a tradition behind it. Uh, and because you can feel it. And those are things that are the hallmarks of something that um, has legs and something that that is meaningful. And given that a lot of younger people um, are actually drinking less than than people did when you know when I was twenty, it was very common to drink a lot. And there are a lot of people. Some people think it's social media. They're saying I don't want to get drunk and look stupid because I know someone's going to film me. But people are are maybe dialing back on alcohol, which I think is good for human consciousness. Certainly, is good for brain health and liver health and all that as well as anti-aging. The more you drink, the less likely you're going to live a long time. So this might be one of those things uh, that you see at a party. How about uh, stacking with other party substances? 
<laughs> you mean like synthetic substances or just, no, I'm or just sorry. alcohol so or anything? Let's look at what happens at a, at a certain kinds of parties, uh, which may or may not be Burning Man. Uh, but you know, people might be smoking some pot or eating some edibles or whatever. Uh, they may be using some nicotine or you know a shisha or I hope not vaping. <laughs> but people do whatever they're going to do. So, and and then there's also caffeine, right? So most people don't drink coffee at, at parties. Me, I probably would. But okay, so can you stack nicotine? Can you stack cannabis? Can you stack you know the other common party things, uh, nicotine with kava, or any of them contraindicated? Yeah, no. So, so actually, I'm I'm not sure about nicotine because I haven't because you know in most places you know where kava is used, a lot of times it's it's used to to get off of of you know nicotine. It's it's dopamine receptors and you know affects you know the the acetylcholine system and it's not addictive. Um, and so I don't have a lot of experience with 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 watching it being stacked with nicotine. However, um, with caffeine. Caffeine increases the uptake of the lactones into the brain, and you know, for those people that are that are wanting to use it as more of the of the mind activating um, sort of nootropic microdosing, get the wheels turning, all of that stuff, the socializing, it stacks very well with coffee, very well, um, because in fact, it, it can actually take the edge off of the of the coffee for some people who are prone to anxiety but want the mental activation from it. And it just kind of gives a little bit more of that, of that kick or that oomph um, of that, you know, euphoria and gets you very social and activated as well too. When it comes to cannabis or other psychedelics, the interesting, you know, thing about it, I think actual kava, and I've talked to, you know, individuals in the, in the psychedelic community about this, prominent individuals about it, um, and what we've observed in the South Pacific by individuals over a long period of time, you know, kava actually, um, has been used in many contexts stacked with other psychedelics to either take the edge, prevent bad trips from happening, or to help bring people out of a bad trip. And and because of its ability to lower the limbic system, but without shutting down the brain and taking away the effects of the psychedelic experience, right? Um, and, you know, it's it's well known, like people go to Burning Man and stuff, people who have bad trips, sometimes they take benzodiazepines, right? Like off label, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, if they get in a bad trip, and it brings you out of a bad trip, because it, it lowers the limbic system, the emotional part of the brain that goes crazy. And so it, it actually is very synergistic to, to, to add to kind of a more smooth experience. But also, it's been used as well in the islands and, and starting to be used by people who are psychedelic users, microdosers, or, or heavy psychedelic users as kind of an on-ramp and an off-ramp to, to, to uh, more powerful psychedelics to where, you know, after you have a psychedelic experience, you have all of these, you know, you know perspective shifts. But, you know, Kava kind of helps to, instead of shout the message, whisper it so that um, people can more... more um, you know, adequately integrate the lessons that they've learned or the perspectives that they've learned by keeping those channels open in a subtle way um, to help kind of, you know, reflect on them. Uh, so it's, it, it actually is this great companion um, to be used along with some of these medicines, but also coffee as well too, for the nootropic effect. Okay. I, uh, I would say my favorite every night I use the Trukava oil, um, which does improve sleep. And sometimes I'll put it in my bulletproof coffee, just put a, a dropper full in there when I'm blending it. The blending doesn't seem to harm it, nor nor do the temperatures. Is it heat stable enough to go in coffee? It is. Okay, yes. Cool. 
yes, the lactones are very are are very stable with heat. Yeah. You up for taking some questions from our live audience? Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to bring Deborah in. It might be a little bit noisy. Deborah is definitely an upgrade collective rock star. She's actually watching or it being part of our audience from inside a hyperbaric tank with her, I'm guessing, true light lights turned on. So, Deborah, I'm going to bring you in now. Ask your question. I hope you can hear me okay. Um, so, Cameron, we were wondering about dosage and how you recommend – uh, starting dose and then also continuing dose to help with uh, nervous system regulation, sleep, you know, c- calming down. Do you recommend it by body weight or how do you recommend dosing? Oh, that's that's a fantastic question. Um, because all of our products are in their food form, it has a very modulatory effect, especially when we talk about the oil, which is our baseline food product that Dave just mentioned. And that's the most subtle product that, that you know, a lot of people take it for sleep. It runs in the background more, less of that kind of euphoria that you get from the drinks. Uh, and then you've got the shot, which is the same thing as the drink. Uh, you know, the drink isn't out yet um, you know, for, for, um, you know, for purchase on the website or in stores or anything, but the, but the shot is what brings more of that kick and that potency. So with the, with the oil, um, you know, the recommended starting dosage, um, for, for adults is one to two droppers full once a day. Um, and you know, for children, usually you, you half that, um, we, we found that it's not, um, because it's modulatory, um, it's, you know, there's really no, um, you know, you know, perceivable at all danger of, of taking like too much. You can take very high dosages of this stuff, it being in a food form. Uh, so usually for children, you know, you, you, a lot of people will half the dose and that's, that's, uh, about one half to, to one dropper full at most, and then just kind of see how they do and go from there. And you can certainly increase it to a lot more, uh, you know, than that. With the oil, you get a leveling off of effect um, at about probably eight droppers full if you go that high. With the drink, it can definitely keep getting more intense past that because of the of the deep, deep full spectrum eu- euphoric nature of it. So I, I'm feeling pretty good after one can. Like if I was gonna just chill. Uh, I could see having another one or two, but I think if I drank uh, another one right now, I'd probably just be maybe more mellow than I want to be in the middle of an interview, right? But it, it definitely is is noticeably relaxing, and it does feel different than the oil. I feel like the oil has a different effect. Uh, and uh, thank you, Deborah, for answering or for asking a question from inside a hyperbaric chamber, which is super cool and something that I would have done myself. Um, all right. Uh, by the way, uh, you're listening to this true Kava, T R U K A V A.com. And you can use code Dave 15. And as usual, if uh, I have a guest on the show, I ask them to get a discount for you. And, um, I'm, I'm truly intrigued by Kava. I think there's, there's something interesting going on here. I have never tried eight dropperfuls. I've tried three of the oil and you're saying you can go up to eight. Yeah, and it, I mean, technically, you can go up above that. But w- what we see is, is we technically see a, a leveling off of the effects after about eight, where it doesn't really get any more intense. And that's because the way that we're pressing it, we get the full lactone complex, but we don't have some of the water-soluble enzymes that will keep it, it intensifying, basically, past a certain point. With the drinks, 
it'll keep intensifying if you keep drinking them well past uh, that. So there's not that leveling off effect. But that's good for the oil because that means like for kids, you know, it's got sort of a built-in protection of, of being too overwhelming, which is what we were going for on the oil. Okay, that makes sense. So let me break it down. Uh, if you want sort of the most mellow, gentle effect, you would go with the oil. Right. And then after that, shots, each shot is the equivalent of a can when the cans are available. And so each shot is two ounces, which is dose equivalent to a can. Yes. Okay. So there you go. Now you guys know where, where to go. I would recommend if you've never tried kava, get the oil, try it for sleep, try it in the morning, see what you notice, and then get the shots and give them a try. Right. And just see how you feel. You may notice even one. And certainly if you do a couple of them, I think you're going to notice, wow, it's very different. I cannot correlate it with, it doesn't feel like cannabis. I don't really like the way THC makes me feel anyway, but it, I don't, I would say there's less than a 10% overlap with how I feel between those two. It doesn't really feel like any other substance that I can think of. I see the alcohol effects, but alcohol, you get kind of buzzy and drunk and it, that's not there either, but there is some aspect of it. So it's it's a different feeling, and it's it's definitely not like any of the other plant medicines. So it's I, I think it's got something going on that's good. All right, um, here's a question from I don't know is it Joanne or Jim? You guys are always together. It looks like it's Joanne or no, it's all right, jo- Joanne. You want to come on and ask your question? Um. For more than a decade, and and this is a uh, question for Cameron, for more than a decade at the trad jazz festivals, traditional jazz festivals in the United States, and there are a lot of these on the West Coast and there throughout the U.S., um, there's been a real problem because with the music, and we're talking, you know, Louis Armstrong, 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, very interesting jazz music, with that music, People dance and it's the old jitterbug, Lindy Hop and the things you saw in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Well, that takes a lot of focus and energy for that kind of dancing. They used to sell a lot of beer. And in more recent times, they don't sell so much beer. And that's caused a problem for the economic basis of these festivals. I'm thinking Cava might be a great substitution, the sociability, the community building without the physical impairment. Uh, Has that been discussed, Cameron? I think it's a good idea. (laughs) Yes. um, Yes. So that's, that's basically um, it's, Kava is, you know, really fits that mold perfectly, right? And it's it's really the only substance that I know of that really does fit like a lock and key into that specific context. Um, has it been, you know, discussed right now? Um, that's our goal. I mean, you know, the True Kava Project actually started out as as you know, just as much of of an advocacy campaign for Kava, where I tried to consolidate all of the top doctors, scientists, researchers, you know, people in, in the regulatory agencies, in the industry, the indigenous people to try to create a, a um, structure and a context for Kava in the United States and in the modern world to where we can actually, you know, basically integrate it in any context 
you know, through which alcohol is present either as an as as you know, you know something extra to be offered where you can mix and match or have, to have a healthier option or as a replacement for context in which alcohol just causes too many issues. Um, and so we've discussed that and that's absolutely part of our trajectory and part of our business model to be able to integrate it into these types of circumstances and to, you know, eventually, you know, contribute to what I believe will become a whole scene of just like you go to a coffee bar or a regular bar, you'll go to Kava bars or Kava, we hope will be available on tap at all of these places as well too, or available in, in virtually any form where you don't have to worry about the level of regulation or creating a negative atmosphere. In fact, Kava, like we discussed, you know, uh, previously Kava creates a tremendous atmosphere, a very loving, you know, connected people. So I believe it has tremendous application for the culture and and collectively um, as well. When you get a lot of people using this, uh, hearing what um, Cameron's saying is, uh, I'll go on Cameron's website, and if they have not started um, basically selling their product to these fest- music festival organizers, I, I'll. Um, give him a few addresses to uh, use. That'd be really helpful. One thing I love about our upgrade collective here is just the willingness to help and all that. Cameron really is, you know, he's a a true believer in the stuff and he's doing the hard work of bringing awareness to something that no one knows about. And if you think it's hard to get people to put butter in coffee, at least they know what butter and what coffee are. And yes, it took five years and, you know, hundreds of presentations flying around and all that stuff to make that happen. So it is moving mountains and getting people to so oh, I've heard of Kava, which is kind of where most people are, but I don't have a concept of it. So it, it is a multi-year thing, but I think it's a worthy multi-year process that he's going through. And one thing that's interesting, uh, Joanne, the first time I went to Burning Man was in 2011. And the guy at the camp next to us worked for the government as a research physician. And uh, these guys were amazing. They had a, a million dollar portable MRI unit at Burning Man because they were doing a field exercise for desert survival or something that was really cool. And we went out and he said, I'm not going to name him, but he says, you know what? Let's look at these people dancing. MDMA, MDMA pot, alcohol. And by the way each person danced and moved, he could 100% certainty tell you what they were on. And I'm like, that seems like a little bit of BS. And then I looked at my wife, who's a drug and alcohol medicine emergency addiction specialist or emergency medicine specialist who addiction is a part of that. And she goes, oh yeah, you can tell. (laughs) Maybe not from dancing. He was better than she was, but she could tell what people were on just by the minute hand movements and things like that. So I doubt either of them could tell you though whether someone was on Kava, but there's probably subtle movement changes that happen. And let me ask you this, Cameron: Do people dance better or worse on Kava? I would say that would that would be a subjective thing. However, um, I would say in almost every context, better because you know just how Kava affects you. It's like enhanced sobriety. Like there's a saying in the islands um, in in Vanuatu. And the saying goes like this, basically. It's an old saying that goes back a couple thousand years. Uh, You know, it it goes like this. A man who drinks alcohol becomes a beast, but a man who drinks kava becomes more of who he really is. And so what you feel in, in kava is you feel like more of yourself. 
your inhibitions, all your stresses and, and, and things that your, your insecurities that would normally hold you back, um, you know, definitely sort of, you know, come to life or, you know, are suppressed. So, so it, it just, it absolutely creates an environment through which you can be more of yourself and express yourself. That's a little scary though, because if it makes you more of who you are, if politicians drink it, they become bigger douchebags. Unless you believe that uh, who they really are is actually authentic and what they're being is a, an egoic, you know, construct that they may realize is fake if they were to take it could be worse too because it makes who they really are. They might not be douchebags. Horns might come out at least for some of the current politicians here. So uh, let's uh, let let's hope politicians ban themselves (laughs) from drinking kava. Now, I have one more question for you that you might not be that comfortable answering, but it's top of mind for a lot of people. Uh, We know uh, that enhancement of immune function really seems to be important these days because people don't want to get sick. Not like they ever did, but some recent information has come out that says if people are infected with uh, the most popular virus in the news today, that their body makes antibodies against five different virus proteins and makes memory T cells that last even after your antibody levels drop. So you get lifelong protection and reduced risk from the most famous infection of all. I'm looking for things that enhance my immune system's ability to recover more quickly from any kind of antiviral, bacterial, any other sort of infection without naming any specific one. Is there any evidence that kava is immune enhancing or suppressing or does anything immune wise? So with kava, its main mechanisms as far as its protective mechanisms have to do with modulating inflammation, right? And so, uh, you know, many of its mechanisms that have been clearly demonstrated um, certainly seem to contribute to the modulation of the byproducts of, of, of you know, of, of having an overactive immune system, right? Uh, you know, you know, the cytokine activity and all of this stuff that happens because Kava, you know, you know, the nervous system and the immune system are what interfaces with the outside world and they sort of run parallel and one can activate the other. And, you know, whenever you activate these, these hormetic stress pathways um, and all these modulatory pathways, it downregulates inflammation, which is always a byproduct of, of an overactive immune system. So usually something that has all these protective mechanisms on the nerve system side has, has immunological protective, um, you know, effects as well too. Uh, so in principle, we do see kava as a powerful protective substance that protects the tissues, right? Because of all these mechanisms that we know, and we know that, you know, certain infections, all infections, but certainly ones that are at the top of the news, um, do their damage, not as much through, you know, the pathogen itself, but through the body's reaction, explosive cytokine storm-like reaction. And so by being a protective substance, it is a tool that, that definitely, from what we know about it, seems to help to protect from the damage of those things. Uh, And so from an immunological standpoint, yes. And also because of its effects on cellular autophagy, um, you know, you know, cellular autophagy can, you know, recycle and break down old bad cells to help the body replace them with new ones. And that includes bad, um, you know, immune cells that are overactive as well too. So there's possible mechanism there. 
Uh, so there are definitely some protective mechanisms that uh, it's possible that uh, uh, could be of some benefit. Uh, awesome. And that is, just to be really clear, you are not saying that kava does anything for any particular kind of infection. Um, and that is because in the United States anyway, it is illegal for a food or a natural substance um, to, uh, to treat or cure a disease. Even if you have 500 papers and you have Nobel Prize winners who say that that is the case, you may not mention the papers if you sell the substance. So you guys need to know this. You wonder why sometimes um, companies that have, I don't know, nutritional supplements and things like that, they really can't tell you why they do what they do or what they do. It's because there's a gag order from Big Pharma and enough is enough. <laughs> so uh, I think everyone has seen the extent of the power of the gag orders recently. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to backfire because you cannot trust anything that they say or their captive regulatory agencies say either. Um, so just to be really clear, you did not say anything about any of that stuff. Uh, and honestly, I can't find great evidence about specific bacterial or viral things anyway for Kava, but I was just thinking you might know something that I don't know. It does appear, though, that there's a lot of anti-inflammatory stuff that goes on. My strategy when I start to get an infection is, hmm, what can I do to blunt the inflammatory things that are happening so my body can recover more quickly? And there's a bunch of herbal and other things you can do. You might even take some kind of a, a thing that's a, a protease inhibitor for specific kinds of, of protein replication that viruses like to do that's... Um, won a Nobel Prize and is on the WHO list of medications. But if you say its name, they block your podcast. I, I can't imagine. But it, it's, it kind of rhymes with lectin because we all know lectins are bad for you. But if you did that stuff, uh, I mean, that, that would be, that'd be terrible if you did that when you were getting sick. Um, and oh, by the way, did you guys hear about this? Uh, Merck just got paid $1.2 billion for a protease inhibitor that inhibits exactly the same protein as the stuff that rhymes with lectin. It's like, it's so weird. It's, but it's an emergency use authorization, so it's okay. So anyway, all that kind of stuff, I would do that. But would I do everything that I know of that increases resilience? Yes, I would. Would I use adaptogenic herbs? Yes, I would. Uh, would I count kava as an adaptogen? I actually don't know. Is kava a classical adaptogen? Cameron, is it? I don't even know. Kava's in its own category. Um, it's it's it has adaptogenic effects because adaptogen really means it helps your body, um, you know, increase its resilience and to adapt to stressors. So certainly it is that. But classic adaptogens mm -hmm. like ginseng and and you know reishi mushroom and chaga and things like that are are usually things that have not as much of like an acute, powerful, like symptom relief effect. They more give to the system over time and just you don't really feel them. So, you know, kava is an acute plant medicine that gives you this acute instant sort of relief, but also has these adaptogenic effects at the same time. Um, and so it's really one of the only like really powerful acute medicines that also can be taken regularly without knocking you off your center. Like cannabis, if you smoke a lot of cannabis, there are medicinal effects, but it's more of an acute medicine. It'll knock you off your center over a long period of time and, and, and can have some effects cognitively and things and can throw off sleep cycles and certain things as where kava improves sleep cycles. And, you know, even in relation to, you know, you know, infections and things like that, anything that can improve your sleep and improve and downregulate the, the, the explosive storm that's going on in your body, 
certainly um, it makes a contribution to the recovery process. And that's been my experience as well. So there you have it. Uh, I actually don't think there's a clear case that, that you should add kava when you're recovering from whatever that you're recovering from. Um, unless you're feeling like crap and you're feeling lots of physical anxiety and you want to chill, in which case, hey, it wasn't curative. It was just like taking an aspirin so you don't feel the muscle muscle pain, right? Which is not a bad strategy either. So anyway, it's an interesting compound. It's super cool. True Kava, T-R-U-K-A-V-A. Use code DAVE15 and that'll save you 15%. And like I said, the oils, the gentlest, you use it before sleep. It really is a big deal. I think we actually sent the oil out in the DaveAsprey stuff, right? I, I believe we sent that out a while ago. But I, I really, truly am a huge fan of that. And then if you're at the biohacking conference, biohackingconference.com, you're going to get to try it at our social mixers. And if not, get the oil, get the shots, try them both, see what happens. And you might find at your next party, you're doing a different kind of shot because it's cool stuff. Thank you very much, Cameron, for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Absolutely, Dave. Anytime. I love being here. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.